Joining us on the program today is Luke Holland. He's the Chief of Staff for Oklahoma U.S. Senator Jim Inhofe. Luke, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Great. How are you doing? Great to have you on the program. First Thank time sir. we've had a chance to visit with each other, but yes, uh, the senator had some doctor's appointments, I guess, and yes, uh, unable to be on the program with us. But uh, you wanted to give some updates uh, about some recent happenings in D.C. and everything. The big thing these days is uh, what's been happening in Afghanistan over the last uh, uh, month or two months or so, and that's a big issue. Yeah, it really is a big issue, George. You know, the the pullout that Biden has demanded here with Afghanistan has just been a, a total disaster. I think everybody's seen that on the news, you know, all the chaos of the withdrawal, the fact that our generals really didn't agree with what President Biden decided to do. And that was the big outcome of the hearing that Senator Inhofe had last night with General Miller. Miller was the commander on the ground in Afghanistan until the first couple of weeks of July. He'd been there for years. He was the true expert on Afghanistan policy. And even though President Biden told George Stephanopoulos in an interview a couple of weeks ago that his generals agreed with his decision to withdraw, General Miller, who was the one on the ground, said that is not the case, that he did not recommend that we withdraw, that he wanted us to have a at least a small presence of soldiers, U.S. soldiers on the ground who could help uh, maintain stability there uh, in, for, for the long run, that this is not a withdrawal that he wanted to do, but it's one that Biden demanded uh, and really insisted upon, despite the fact that the conditions on the ground did not warrant that kind of decision. So all the Democrats are wanting to blame President Trump for the decisions that President Biden made. It's just unbelievable to me that they would try to get away with that. At the end of the day, President Trump was having discussions about what it would look like for us to withdraw from Afghanistan. No one wants to be there forever, but it was always conditions-based. He wanted to make sure that al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups weren't able to operate on Afghanistan soil, and then he wanted to make sure that there were genuine negotiations happening between the Taliban and Afghan governments. And and that, that was not happening at all. And so for President Biden to say that that it was Trump who made the decision to get out by August 31st, uh, that's just not that's just not true because the conditions on the ground didn't warrant it. Had President Trump still been in office, we would not have had this disaster happening right now. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, just, it's a Americans who are stuck over in Afghanistan right now. We have we have no plan to get them out. In fact, I, I've been in communication with some recent converts to Christianity, Afghans who converted to Christianity, who the Taliban is hunting day to day. They want to uh, to get out of Afghanistan, but there is no assistance that the United States can provide to them right now. You know, uh, we just uh, how quickly the Taliban took over Afghanistan uh, over in just a short amount of time was just uh, you know amazing and just uh, unfortunate uh, timing uh, right. and just lack of action really for. Well, and, and that's what happens when we leave Bagram Air Force Base in the dark of night without communicating to anybody, including our allies, about what we were doing. We just we got out of there like as quickly as we possibly could. And so what you know the, mil- the Afghan military was trained to do uh, to do their fighting against the Taliban with U.S. air support. And that's what we were providing from Bagram Air Force Base. And so it's no surprise to the real you know, generals and military strategists on the ground that this is the outcome that happened. You know, President Biden said that uh, 
that the Afghan government would, that the Kabul wouldn't fall for 30 days, but it took 30 hours. And that's what happens when the United States and all of our strength just decides to cut and run instead of actually finishing the job that we were there to do in the first place. I think that, you know, President Biden cites all this polling about all the support that there was for getting out of Afghanistan. And sure, everyone wants to get out of Afghanistan in the long run. But I think that what uh, the American people are now fully aware of is that the reason we were in Afghanistan was to get rid of al-Qaeda, to get rid of terrorists, and to get rid of the Taliban. And what's painfully clear right now is that that is not uh, that that mission had not yet been completed. And so I think that it's not surprising then that polling is now showing that I think it's somewhat over 60% of Americans believe that we're going to go back into Afghanistan at some point in the future to fight terrorism. And a recent report by the New York Times, of all people, think that, Af- that al-Qaeda is going to reconstitute itself in Afghanistan within a year. And we've already seen a terrorist attack happen. That's what happened to the 13 brave service members who were killed by ISIS-K. There are terrorists who are there on the ground in Afghanistan right now. And that's, that's why this situation is just so devastating. Yeah, and of course, uh, there's a concern that uh, uh, the status of America's military uh, you know, is not as strong as it was uh, in the world before all this happened. That's right. I mean, the, what, what the long-term effects of this decision to our U.S. foreign policy is it's really difficult to uh, overstate how devastating it could be. We, we have enemies out there. The world is not a safe place. There's China. There's Russia. They would love nothing more than to see the United States fade into the background of history so that they can impose their will on the world, their way of thinking. And we all know that China, it's not a free country. You think about the Uyghurs up in northwest China. They're a a religious minority. The Chinese are persecuting them. There's even a genocide going on. That's that's the real China. Uh, Russia, all they want to do is menace their neighbors and, and use their power to their advantage. They have no desire for freedom. The United States loves freedom. That's, that's what we were founded upon. But if we're not a strong nation and we, if we don't have the military and the resolve to really act accordingly, then our freedoms will be at threat. And that's why it's so important for us to maintain our strength as a nation and our military with our alliances and our resolve so that we have a, a a free country for our children in the future. And you mentioned uh, the uh, Americans and uh, the Afghan allies that are still uh, in Afghanistan and uh, a very tough situation after uh, America pretty much guaranteed the allies that they'd get out of the country. And uh, some of them, uh, they've had some of their uh, ID, I guess, destroyed and stuff. And uh, there's the likelihood they, they may not get out. That's right. And, and you know, the, the situation on the ground there, we don't have an embassy there. We don't have any staff there who can help process these people. There's just no way to do that right now. You know, in the, in the, in the hours after the Taliban took over Kabul, uh, we were in communication with a U.S. citizen who was trying to get out. And their cousin, who's a doctor serving in Kabul, the Taliban was going door to door, and they just shot and killed him. And so people, you know, the Biden administration and others are trying to say that the Taliban, it's this new Taliban. These are the same old Taliban. They've put a terrorist in charge of, of the interior there in Afghanistan who's got a $5 million bounty on his head from the FBI. And so the, and now you've got China. There's reports that China wants to take over Bagram Air Force Base. So the, the impact of this from a national security standpoint are going to be felt 
uh, for decades, if, if not longer than that. It's just a, a really tragic situation, and we've got a lot of work to do to restore uh, the, the strength and, uh, and commitment of American resolve abroad, and we really have a lot to understand about how all of this took place, how the decisions were made, because there's a continual focus on blaming President Trump. But President Biden bears total responsibility for everything that's happened. And in a couple of weeks, the Senate Armed Services Committee is going to hold a hearing with General Milley and with Secretary Austin. And, uh, and we're going to be asking them a lot of really in-depth questions to make sure that we can understand exactly what's going on. And I, and I think in the future beyond that, we're going to host General Miller for a hearing that's in the open so that he can share his perspective with the American people. And uh, how do we make sure that uh, America keeps its, its status as uh, being, you know, the top military in the world? That would be scary if, uh, you know, if uh, the Chinese or the Russians, uh, you know, want to take advantage of the situation that we're in right now. That's right. And every time that America has demonstrated weakness abroad, China and Russia have tried to fill that vacuum, no matter where it takes place. You look at what's going on in Ukraine uh, during the the. Uh, Obama administration. You know, when President Trump was president, there was no question about who was in charge. The strength of America was not in question. We were in some of the most peaceful times uh, that we've ever known uh, during the Trump administration, and that's because of President Trump's resolve as commander-in-chief. So the best way for us to have a strong military and a strong national security is to have a strong president who's not afraid of American power and who wants to use it to his advantage. And so that's the long-term benefit of, of leadership, and we need new leadership. One other concern, of course, is all the, the billions of dollars in military equipment that were left behind. I know a lot of the, uh, uh, a lot of the helicopters and things were disabled. Yeah, $80 billion but, dollars uh, of yeah. equipment. Uh, but uh, they're saying that, uh, you know, maybe the Russians and Chinese can come in and, and you know, use the uh, – information they've gained over the years to maybe repair those and get them working and uh, yeah like even that. to reverse engineer them so yeah. you've got our apache helicopters that are, that are the best in the world and we left I, th I believe that afghanistan now has the the second largest fleet in in the world uh, because of the ones that we left behind and so there's no doubt in my mind that uh, russia and china are going to reverse engineer those so that they have the same exact helicopters for themselves so the 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 Again, the precipitous and you know the withdrawal that Biden demanded on such a tight timeline is what resulted in all of these mistakes happening and all of these negative consequences. And uh, it's it's President Biden's weakness that is resulting in harm to the American people, and that's what needs to be reversed. Uh, just before we go, uh, Luke, we wanted to talk about uh, uh, President Biden's uh, infrastructure uh, uh, proposal that. Uh is trying to make its way through Congress? Yeah, that's right. You know, he's trying to do everything he can to, to destroy this country with a huge tax and spend uh, policy, the, the, what he's calling an infrastructure bill, but it's really $3.5 trillion of tax increases on every man, woman, and child in this country. And uh, it's really becoming clear that the, the only thing that we can do is, is do everything we can to stop him from getting this done. Uh, it's a very uh, concerning remaking of the American economy that he's trying to contemplate here. It's going to hurt our economy. Uh, anything that raises taxes is, is no friend of Oklahoma. He's going after oil and gas. He's going after ag. And so these are things that we have to stop, and that's what Senator Inhofe is really dedicated to doing. 
All right. Um, Luke Holland, Chief of Staff with Senator Jim Inhofe joining us on the program. Thank you, Luke. Hey, thanks so much, George. Good to talk to you. Joining us on the program now is Oklahoma U.S. Congressman Tom Cole from District 4. Tom, how you doing today? Hey, doing great, George. Great to be with you. Great to be uh, have you on the show to talk about some uh, some updates as far as uh, uh, your side of things when it comes to uh, what's going on in the country and the world. And, of course, everybody right now wants to talk about uh, the devastating situation in Afghanistan. Well, it's an uh, unbelievable tragedy. I never thought I'd live to see that uh, we would turn over uh, Afghanistan, 38 million people, back to the Taliban, the very same people that uh, hosted and protected and refused to surrender uh, Osama bin Laden after 9-11. And uh, so I'm not happy with the policy. I think it was, it's a huge mistake. Uh, I do think uh, terrorism will reconstitute itself in Afghanistan. It'll, it'll be a source of danger to us going forward. Uh, I grieve for uh, a lot of people that uh, we left behind. We literally left some Americans behind. We haven't gotten out yet. Uh, obviously, thousands of Afghans who trusted us. Um, so I think it's a, you know, a, a historic uh, uh, stain, honestly, on the honor of the country. In terms of the manner in which it was done, I, I think Everybody agrees, whether you're for leaving or not, uh, it was a debacle. Uh, there's no question. Uh, we lost 13 uh, of our military people who we lost them. Uh, you know, they were in, involved in a noble undertaking. They were there to rescue their fellow Americans and people who had thrown their lot with us. Um, I have no complaint about what they did on the ground. Uh, matter of fact, we're probably lucky that it was only 13 in a sense, and they executed their job professionally. But we put them in a situation we should have never put them in, um, you know, in a congested urban airport surrounded. And the whole withdrawal, the idea that we took our military out before we got all our people out, the idea that we surrendered uh, strategic assets like Bagram Air Force Base, again, before everybody was out, that was our leverage in these kind of deals. Uh, and that we left billions of dollars worth of military equipment. We now have the most well-armed terrorist group in the world, courtesy of the American taxpayer. Uh, I just, you know, I don't see how you defend uh, the uh, manner in which uh, we left Afghanistan or the fact, quite frankly, that we left it at all. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, I, I think it's a, a serious setback for the United States. What do you, uh, I know it's tough to uh, anticipate what might happen uh, from here on, but, uh, you know, we've just got to be, you know, ready for about anything. I mean, uh, they hit us once on, you know, 20 years ago, and, you know, it could happen again, right? It, it absolutely could. I mean, we know Al-Qaeda uh, is reconstituting itself there. Uh, we know ISIS is already there. Uh, a more virulent brand, uh, one that thinks even uh, the Taliban is too moderate. Um, there'll be plenty of other groups. The Akani Network is uh, closely associated with the Taliban. And again, these places, these people all now have a country uh, in which to operate and in which to train and which to plan and plot. And uh, we're a long way away. We don't have a base within about a thousand miles of there. Uh, so, you know, to give up, uh, we hadn't lost anybody on the ground in 18 months, uh, and we were in good shape in terms of uh, the Afghans doing most of the fighting. We had 
we certainly did the fighting from the air. We controlled the airspace over Afghanistan, and uh, you know we had very important intelligence and counterterrorism activities going on. All that's disappeared, um, and uh, no, it's not like anybody on the ground is going to ever trust us again. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I get the question all the time: Are you going to go back? And I said, Who would who would work with us? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't. I would expect we will strike back into Afghanistan at some point, uh, and we have a number of people, including former Defense Secretary and CIA uh, Director Leon Panetta, a good Democrat, and also I think honestly a very capable guy. I uh, serve with his son right now in in Congress. I'm a big admirer of uh, Mr. Panetta, who you know was uh, on watch, so to speak, when we got uh, Osama bin Laden. Uh, so his prediction is we're going to have to get, go back to Afghanistan at some point. And uh, that's, uh, if that's true, then that's going to be quite an indictment of the policy that uh, President Biden just implemented. What type of insight do you have on intelligence? Uh, do you, does, it, does that come your way, or do you request that? Or? Does, uh, you know, I sit on the Defense Appropriations uh subcommittee, so we get regular intelligence briefing on what America's adversaries are doing uh, all over the world. Um, Obviously, since it's intelligence, there's a lot of it I can't talk about. I can tell you that uh, uh, intelligence paints a pretty grim picture of what's going on inside Afghanistan now and what they anticipate in the future. And, of course, with the military bases in your district, have you been in touch with them? Or I'm sure they stand ready. If Should the should it, their services be, be called on? Yeah, there's no question that uh, Fort Sill and Tinker, that if they had to deploy, uh, you know, units or assets of some sort, uh, they would do it. They would do it professionally and capably. Um, and you're not going to get... Uh, any of them talking directly uh, about policy or or the president's decisions, that would not be appropriate for them. They're in the chain of command, and they're, they're to offer their advice within that context. They do tell Congress in intelligence briefings and, uh, you know, what they think. Uh, we do know that uh, the American military did not recommend this course. They, most of them thought uh, we should keep a residual force of some size. There was a debate in the military how big it should be. We were down to about 2,500 or 3,500 people. Some people thought it should be a little larger. There was actually a study done that we should have about 4,500 to 7,500 max. But, uh, again, the president made this decision, uh, and uh, he owns it. Uh, you know, So uh, if it turns out to have been a good decision, he can take credit for it. But it's very much his decision a decision that uh, um, a lot of uh, experts in the region, a lot of people that have experience in the region, uh, and not just Republicans, Democrats as well, uh, again, disagreed with. And even those that agreed with it, I think, believe the execution of it was exceptionally poor and dangerous and and cost us the lives of, of 13 great Americans. And certainly uh, giving us a black eye on the world view, for sure. You know, this is uh, take... No, I think every adversary uh, around the world is thinking, well, maybe we can push America. They just lost to, uh, you know, a ragtag group of terrorists. And our own friends that uh, we've made commitments to over the years 
I wonder. We know the Chinese are busy telling the Taiwanese, look, this is a proof positive when push comes to shove. You can't count on the Americans. So you better make a deal with us now, and if we invade, they won't be there to help you. I mean, literally, our adversaries are being that blunt uh, about this. So, you know, anytime you do something that delights your enemies and discourages your friends, you probably haven't picked the right uh, uh, course of action. This has certainly uh, taken the attention off uh, the border crisis. We really haven't heard anything about that in the last uh, several weeks, but it's a, that's another issue that uh, is bothersome for a lot of folks. Well, it should be. I mean, we just had uh, the second month in a row of over 200,000 people. That was 208 that we apprehended. That's not everybody that comes illegally. Those are the people that we catch. Uh, and the total coming across the border this August was 317% higher than August a year ago. You know, uh, in other words, over three times as many people. Uh, so no question that Trump uh, gave uh, President uh, Biden a working uh, and secure border, and that that's been thrown away. It's the reversal of Trump policies on the border. You can like the former president or not, but there's no question what he was doing on the border was working, and what President Biden is doing is not. I mean, we basically uh, turned on a green light. We've had over a million and a half people enter the country uh, illegally uh, in the last eight months, and that number's going up, not down. This is the time of year incidentally, where usually the traffic dips quite a bit because it's the hottest time of the year. Uh, and yet we went all through the summer with numbers that were continually rising. So, uh, it's again, I think it's a debacle that's hard to hide. And I want to talk briefly about the uh, infrastructure uh, proposal that's been put forth. It's, uh, it's a very aggressive proposal. There's some good things, uh, maybe not so many good things, but uh, address that a little bit. Yeah, there, there are some good things in there. Uh, uh, you know, uh, again, let's talk about the good, and then we'll talk about the shortcomings. That, uh, uh, on the good front, I mean, there's a lot of money for roads and highways. We need that. Uh, money for ports and waterways. We need that. Airports. Uh, broadband is probably the biggest new addition, $65 billion for that. I think that's a wise investment. Certainly in our district, uh, we will benefit from that. Now, the package was supposed to be paid for. It's not. Uh, it's uh, $256 billion short, according to the Congressional Budget Office. Um, it also didn't go through the regular committee process. It was basically negotiated by a few senators in the United States Senate. That's, uh, that's not good news for us uh, because Senator Inhofe is the past chairman and, and has a pretty big stick on the uh, what's called the Public Works uh, committee in the United States Senate where this would go through. So uh, we've always done pretty well in these infrastructure puck er, in these infrastructure packages, thanks to Senator Inhofe's position. And uh, we, you know, again, we certainly have some good things there. We didn't do as well as we've done in the past. Uh, both our senators voted no on the package. I suspect most of our House, if not all of our House delegation, will as well. But it will pass. Um, and uh, it will probably, it, it should be considered, uh, according to uh, a concession speaker Pelosi made, on no later than the 27th of September, so we're 11, 12 days away from when the vote should occur. It's already gone through the Senate, so it goes straight to the president's desk. Uh, we'll have very little input in the House, because if we 
change it, then we'd have to go to conference in the Senate, and in that sense, we've sort of surrendered our ability to influence the legislation in the House. That's another uh, strong reason, I think, if you're a House member, to vote no. We've uh, given all the institutional power over to the Senate, and really probably about 15 senators negotiated this. Let me make a, a bold guess that their, their, 15, their respective states will do better than anybody else. That's normally the case in situations like that. Uh, talk about uh, some of the continued uh, funding for uh, businesses uh, in light of the, all that's happened over the past year with the pandemic and uh, businesses that, uh, and companies that are uh, working to you know, get back to where they were before the pandemic. Well, there's still quite a bit of money in the pipeline. Uh, you know, when we passed the $1.9 trillion bill for this round of relief in February, there was already a billion that had not been spent of the $4 billion that had been appropriated from the year before. So, there, you know, there is money, for instance, coming to the state of Oklahoma. Uh, a lot of that money, it'll be up to, to the state to decide, you know, uh, within very broad guidelines set by the federal government where it goes. There's going to be considerable money for local governments uh, that are available really for the next two years. Uh, so um, not a package that anybody in Oklahoma voted for. We, we, we all thought what we'd done uh, in 2020 uh, was sufficient, maybe a little bit more in 21, but what the Democrats did was just, you know, Frankly, uh, like a kid in a candy store, it's free money. Well, it's not free money. It's borrowed money, and it's going to be expensive and increases the debt pretty substantially. I know Republican senators offered uh, a counteroffer at about $600 to $800 billion. Uh, that was rejected. So this is pretty much a Democrats-only show, but uh, it'll, put, it'll inject a lot of money in the economy. We already have inflation running uh, at a higher level than it has in 21 years, so I think that's going to continue with this kind of spending, uh, let alone with the other spending Democrats are proposing going forward for the balance of the year. And uh, what about trying to get more Americans back to work? Uh, you know, there's been so many complaints about uh, some of the, the government benefits of paying individuals to stay home instead of going back to work. Well, I'm proud that Oklahoma was a leader in trying to do that. I give Governor mm -hmm. Stitt a lot of credit when she ended that program in late June. It actually stretched into September and uh, offered money uh, for people to come back in the workplace. Um, you know, you'll be happy to know, actually, Oklahoma's unemployment rate is well under the national mm -hmm. average, and a lot of our folks got back to work as quickly as they could. So, uh, again, we're looking at a statewide, uh, the national average unemployment rate is around 52 Oklahoma, it's under four, and, uh, you know, we do have a lot of businesses, I can tell you, just traveling the last month and have labor shortages and a lot of inflation in, in, in wages, but the average Oklahoman is willing to get back to work, and uh, you know, we may have a few that aren't, but uh, we're much better off in terms of people actually already being in the workforce as opposed to states on the east and west coast, for instance. Congressman Tom Cole joining us on the program. Thank you so much, Congressman. We really appreciate it. Hey, George, thank you, and you have a great day.